A robot tries to escape its maker. A lady tries to write books. How can that be? And a couple of guys figure out a little bit later in life than they thought they would what they want to do with themselves. This is the Brother Trucker Book Club podcast. I am your host, Graham Bradley. Got a bunch of good ones for you on deck today, as I usually do, to close out the busy, long, cold trail of hell that is January. So without further ado, let's jump in. Ready and... I guess one of the first things that I learned here about Kraken Guard is that it's it's kind of a peaks and valleys job. Most trucking jobs are. You'll have some months that are crazy busy and others where you get the, the odd day off. That's kind of what it's been here for the last couple of weeks. I've had some out of town jobs and then I come home and I work, you know, half a day and then be off. And so uh, when I was working at Brimstone, I had a coworker, my buddy Steve, uh, who you know, we'd get the uh, the occasional two or three week stretch where things were slow. And so we're sweeping the shop and we're catching up on odd projects around the yard before we go back out and work these 10, 12 hour days. And, uh, you know, he and I were talking and I was like, you know, I do kind of feel bad. You know, us, us shop guys, we always got our 40 hours no matter what. There was always stuff for us to do. But the field guys, there were days when they'd sit. And I was like, you know, I, I do kind of feel bad. We're sitting here, you know, costing the company money. And there's not a whole lot of production going on. And he goes, yeah, I get that. But on the flip side, you learn to take these days when they come. And uh, whenever I get the odd day off, I just remember that, like, you know, there there are going to be days where I'll work, you know, the full 14 hours that I'm legally able. So January has been kind of slow. Uh, They're finalizing contracts for the year for Kraken Guard. And so uh, my reading hasn't been as... Um, absolutely crazy as it was in December, but I was able to finish four more books between last episode and this one. I hope you guys have been uh, enjoying the new format with uh, with fewer episodes per week. I've been watching the stats unexplainedly go up on uh, on the dashboard side of things. Um, usually, where an episode would get to ten or fifteen listens in a week, these ones have been getting to you know twenty five in between. So. Uh, to all you new listeners, I hope you're enjoying it. I uh, hope you're finding new books to read because at the end of the day, that is the reason why I do this. So the four books that I covered between last episode and this episode were, uh, as you might expect, all audiobooks. Uh, starting with one by Lee Bacon. Um, this was an interesting production. It was kind of a full cast audio with a little bit of sound effects in the background. It was called Interview with the Robot. Uh, the main character was uh, a girl who presented herself as being 12 years old, but she was, you know, just kind of built to look that way. She was a robot. And she starts by getting herself intentionally caught by the police for shoplifting. She was shoplifting just odd items, doing it right in front of the store owner. Call the cops. Cops bring her in for questioning. And she tells the uh, interrogator lady right away, you know, I'm, I'm not... I'm not human. I know I look 12. I got to answer your questions. Honestly, here's the deal. Um, I'm being pursued by some people and I analyzed a whole bunch of scenarios, a whole bunch of things I might do. And in 85 out of 86 of them, I ended up getting captured by the people chasing me. The only wild card was if I got myself caught by the cops and talked to you and explained my situation. And so, uh, you know, the audio kind of cuts back and forth between the present in the interrogation room and the past, you know, this, this robot girl's life. Uh, She was built by, 
you know, obviously an eccentric billionaire who uh, he and his his son were were trying to get this robot to pass a series of Turing tests. If you're unfamiliar with Turing tests, uh, Alan Turing, the guy who was a World War II code breaker in England, um, you know, also uh, you know early computer engineer, he uh, he had these tests, I guess, or or a test that was named after him, where you you try to get a computer to convince somebody that it's, you know, genuinely intelligent. And obviously this test has to be, you know, has to have some high parameters so that, you know, it, it can even confuse somebody who is looking for a computer, you know, but the saying goes that any machine that's intelligent enough to pass a Turing test would also be smart enough to know that it should fail it because, Hey, if humans find out that they actually make something that smart, the first thing they're going to want to do is turn around and destroy it and eliminate the threat. Right. So, uh, but it, this is not what that, that book's about. That's just what a, a Turing test is. But basically this, this girl is, is going through these tests to, to learn how to convince people around her, you know, with, with greater and greater certainty that she is not human. Uh, I don't want to say any more than that because this book has a, a really good twist to it, I would say. Um, in the grand scheme of things with robot books, uh, it's not necessarily a genre that's been dried out, but there are some kind of common tropes and staples of, of robot fiction. And, and this one touches on a couple of them, but I will say that, uh, I was, I was pleasantly surprised by what the twist was and I enjoyed it when it landed. So interview with the robot, a good short little audiobook. I want to say it was under four hours. So the print version probably wouldn't be, uh, too long. So give that one, give that one a shot. Interview with the robot by Lee Bacon. The next one is called the lady and the highwayman by Sarah M. Eden. Uh, I've talked about some of her books before last year. If you go and listen to the Valentine's day episodes that I did with my wife, uh, I had her join in on the episodes because she's read a lot more Sarah Eden than I have. Um, Sarah is a professional contact of mine, uh, up here in the Utah writing community. She's very, very prolific and she writes for shadow mountain. She puts out, I want to say like three titles a year. She's, she's very, very productive. Uh, this story, the lady in the highwayman is uh, kind of a Victorian era, Regency era, proper romance type thing where uh, this is in the era of Penny Dreadfuls. That was the first thing that grabbed my attention because I've named my little uh, creative endeavors company, Dread Pennies, after the old notion of Penny Dreadfuls, you know, short, exciting adventures that were, you know, at the time of stark class distinctions in England, they were considered to be uh, vulgar because they weren't, you know, highbrow, nose in the air type stories. They were yeah, and they weren't like necessarily genre fiction where there were, you know, aliens or vampires or whatever. I guess they could be vampires, but you, you get what I'm saying is, is they, they weren't these proper literary snobby type stories. They were the exciting ones that were cheap and that were produced uh, very easily. And so uh, there's a, there's a female lead who is writing under a male pen name and she's gaining notoriety with her penny dreadfuls. And she's competing with, uh, with a male lead a guy named Fletcher who also writes Penny Dreadfuls, and he's uh, secretly using the the funds from his Penny Dreadfuls to help get orphans off the street, and you know that's kind of a, a whole subplot. Um, he's kind of obsessed with finding out who the uh, the Mister King is, the the fake pen name, and he ends up crossing paths with uh, you know the, the lady who's writing under that pseudonym, and you know since it's a romance, obviously there's some entanglements there, and you know the the will Batman take off the mask for the love interest type thing going on. So I, it was interesting. It was all technically sound. 
uh, on all those fronts. I, I read it. And as I was listening to it, I was like, you know, this, this is good. I'm not necessarily getting into it, but I wouldn't say that's any fault of the book. Sometimes a, a me and a book, we try to line up and we just miss, but it was, it was still good. And I think you should give it a shot if that kind of, if that genre sounds interesting to you, because, you know, Sarah's a talented writer and my wife has already read this book like two or three times. So check out The Lady and the Highwayman by Sarah Miller Eden, Sarah M. Eden. The final two books that I've listened to in the last week and a half are somewhat connected. Um, I don't just listen to books when I'm out, out on the road. Sometimes I want a palate cleanser, and so I'll down a few episodes of different podcasts. Uh, of course, I listen to Around the NFL. It's my favorite football podcast. It's uh, I've been listening to it for about four years, and uh, I, I really love the the crew and their personas and everything. So I listen to that one. Uh, I've also started listening to Office Ladies with uh, Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsley. They were um, Pam and Angela on The Office, that show that ran for a few too many seasons, more than it should have. But they're kind of doing a, a watch through of previous episodes and you know giving insights and telling stories about being on the set and stuff. And uh, I ended up really getting into it. And that's you know. I don't really enjoy the office all that much. I enjoy like the clips on YouTube more than I enjoy sitting down and watching actual episodes of it. But um, the behind the scenes has been fascinating. But anyway, one of the uh, podcasts that I've found to be very insightful and informative and, and uh, gives you a lot of, of actionable advice is called the art of manliness podcast. It's also a website. You might've seen it and uh, they do a lot of book reviews and book recommendations. And so I popped in a you know random episode um, that ended up focusing on a book called Late Bloomers by Rich Carlgaard. And uh, this one really, really spoke to me. It wasn't just about people that figure out what to do with their lives or um, you know how to how to manage themselves, I guess, you know, as, as adults, as, you know, functioning men and women and stuff, they, they, it's not just that they figure out how to do this later, but it's, it's why they figure out to do it later. And, um, you know, in, in what ways our education system might need to be, you know, retooled or rethought or redesigned to, to accommodate more than just, you know, one type of, of person psychologically. Uh, this book just covered on a, a whole ton of themes. It talked about our cultural obsession with people who achieve early. We talk about, you know, these wunderkinds that, uh, you know, redefine an industry in their teens. Um, you know, the, the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world who were billionaires by the time they were 24 or, uh, you know, these YouTube stars that are making five figures a month playing video games. And, um, you know, there's a lot of stress and psychological uh, consequences to that. There was also an analysis of the industries that have popped up in, especially in, you know, rich coastal areas for uh, affluent parents that start as early as preschool, trying to give their kids uh, a leg up on getting into college. And then the amount of money that they spend on SAT preparations and middle school and tutors and all this stuff, all this to get into schools that cost a ridiculous amount of money to learn disciplines that will never ever uh, yield the kind of money where they'd be able to pay back their student loans. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a vicious, vicious system. And uh, he talks about how this system, you know, eats up a large number of people that kind of get shoehorned towards it. Now, obviously our education system, you know, works for a number of people, but there are, 
many, many others like myself, like, you know, and, and you guys who have listened to this podcast from the beginning, you, you've got a taste of what my journey's been and how I ended up in trucking and what I've loved about it and what I've hated about it. But I, you know, it, it's one of those things where I often think, man, I kind of wish I'd gotten into this when I was uh, a little bit younger rather than some of the things that I had done uh, with my with my early twenties, but you know, that's a completely separate subject. Uh, late bloomers I found to be quite, uh, affirming of choices that I wanted to make in my late teens, and early twenties, but was kind of pushed in, uh, you know, away from making, I wanted to go, you know, into trade school at 21. I wanted to learn to be a mechanic. I still want to be a mechanic, but my, my time opportunity, my financial opportunity on that one is is very, very different now at 35 than it was when I was 21. But I acted on popular consensus advice from people that I trusted, which was ultimately bad advice. And this is a, a subject that's covered rather extensively in this book. Uh, at the same time, I found the flow of information to be really good. It wasn't like it got bogged down in minutiae or details or I, you know, I didn't find myself contemplating well, maybe I can hit the fast forward button or, you know, double up the speed right here. It was, it was nine and a half hours on audio, uh, incredibly well put together. And I find myself wanting to get a print copy to read over with my wife to kind of, uh, you know, analyze how I might change my parenting style with, uh, with our, our two kids or, and the third one that's on the way. Uh, so that was a great episode of that podcast. It was a great book recommendation that I got from that. That's why I'm passing it on to you guys. Now, the fourth book that I've read in the last week and a half uh, was cited heavily in Late Bloomers, and it's called Hillbilly Elegy by J.D. Vance. I heard about this one a couple of years ago uh, when I was a, a more avid follower of the Andrew Luck Book Club. He recommended this one, and it seemed interesting, but I didn't I didn't want to jump into it just because um, I'd read a couple of of his in a row of, of Andrew Luck's recommendations in a row that I just didn't care for. So I didn't uh, pay too much heed to this one, but Carl Gard and late bloomers talked about this book, Hillbilly Elegy a lot. So I decided to check it out and I am so glad that I did. Uh, lengthwise it's under seven hours in on audio. So in, in print again, I, I didn't check up the, the page number, but JD Vance is maybe a year younger than I am. So at the time of this recording in 2020, I think he's probably 34. Or so he finished this book and got it out when he was 31 in 2016, uh, shortly after he graduated from Yale law school. Uh, now as much of an accomplishment as that is on its own, knowing the context of his life and what got him there makes it even more exceptional because he was a hillbilly yokel from the sticks. You know, mom had four or five marriages by the time, you know, JD had gotten out of middle school type situation, family on drugs, family on alcohol, uh, you know, Kentucky, Ohio types from this, you know, from, from the boonies that believed in, shotgun justice and all that stuff. Um, the, one of the many reasons that this book spoke to me was to not put too fine a point on it. It gave me an understanding of the culture that created me. Um, to, to get into a little bit of family history for, for me, just real quick. Uh, my mom's family is from, she was born in Southern California. Uh, her mom is, you know, from the Northern Utah area. Her dad was New Jersey Italian. Um, but they had, you know, moved out to California, had her there. She grew up there and then, you know, 
got married, moved to Vegas, that whole nine. My dad's family are from Kentucky, West Virginia, Ohio, and they are very much the descendants of drunk Irish coal miners that became the American hillbillies. My, uh, my great grandfather, Wayne died in a coal mine because he was drunk on the job and he ran a cart into a power source and electrocuted himself. My papa, Robert was two when that happened. Uh, he was the fourth kid in his family and the only boy, um, whether he enlisted or was drafted, I don't know, but he ended up fighting in Korea. Grenade went off behind him, pumped his back full of shrapnel. He spent 14 months in a recovery ward, got a purple heart. This is at a time when you didn't say things like PTSD or I'm feeling depressed or I don't think my mind's right. This was, you felt messed up. You didn't talk about it. You went and self-medicated for alcohol. He was an alcoholic for several years. Um, you know, a, a link in a long chain of broken homes and broken families and uh, understanding how common that was for people that came out of that culture and out of that region and out of that lifestyle. Knowing now where I am, I find myself very lucky that in, in a single, and I was just talking to my brother about this the other day, in a single generation, we, we escaped that, that, uh, that life path that just seems to kind of ensnare everybody that's in it. Um, you know, my dad was a six figure paper salesman for most of my childhood. And looking at his dad and everybody who was ever related to him, I mean, that's, that's a freaking miracle. And, uh, you know, we can get into the long how and why of, of all that at another time. But reading Hillbilly Elegy helped me to understand my, my ancestors on the Bradley side. Um, because I've heard my, my aunt and, and uh, my mama tell stories about, you know, kind of you know growing up back there my mama telling stories about you know her sister telling their mom you know hey we don't like the way that dad yells at you when he's drunk and if you don't do something about it i'm leaving and all of a sudden my great grandma grabbed a ball peen hammer and just popped my great grandpa on the head one day because she'd had enough of him yelling drunk at her while she was folding laundry i mean that was that was just who these people were it was how they solved things and uh I, I, like I said, I, I think I understand better the culture that created me. Now, J.D. Vance goes on to talk about, you know, his rough childhood, his bouncing from house to house and all that stuff. But it's also the story of how he escaped that by joining the Marine Corps, the structure that the Marines gave him. And then he came back and he applied for college at Ohio State. He did well there. Uh, met a girl, fell in love. He got accepted to Yale and all that stuff. And when he was was dating this woman that eventually became his wife, he gained an understanding of how different their upbringings had been, that she came from a stable two-parent fa- two uh, family and and they didn't solve things by yelling at each other or fighting each other. They, they, they talked, they reasoned with each other, they let each other know that they loved each other. And, and you know, he had to kind of unlearn a lot of these things that became ingrained to him just because he was a product of the environment that had produced him, that had created him. And so, you know, it was, it was a lot of, there was a lot of self-reflection in it for me in that. And at the same time, um, he talks about how, you know, politicians and leaders and cultural thinkers and stuff that, that try to, you know, give top-down solutions to regions that, you know, perform poorly in school or perform poorly in labor. They, he goes, these people don't, 
understand their constituents. They think it's just a matter of implementing a program or spending a certain amount of money on it. And, and, and until you really know this, you know, hillbilly culture, and he doesn't say that with any tongue in cheek, uh, sentiment to it is, you know, is until they really understand it, they'll never be able to solve the problem. And it, and it really comes down to, you know, figuring out how to help this culture stabilize and become responsible, develop work ethic, uh, develop the ability to work together as, as families, you know, uh, avoid the, uh, the epidemic of teen pregnancies and early marriages that end in divorce and alcoholism and drug abuse and all that stuff. Um, all that said, it was a very positive book. Uh, it just dealt very realistically with, uh, with these events that had shaped J.D. Vance's life. Um, of all the books that I'm recommending on this episode today, Hillbilly Elegy is the only one that comes with a content warning because, uh, uh, partly because of the subject matter, but also because J.D. Vance ends up, you know, recounting a lot of family conversations and these people just talk to each other very crudely, F-bombs and the whole nine. So uh, that's their I. Uh, I would just advise you to be aware of that. But at the same time, um, I, I very much recommend this book and it is a candidate for uh, the best of the year list for me to, uh, in, in 2020. Holy cow, we're 20 minutes into this episode. So that's it for this one. I've got a few more that I'm reading right now. I wanted to get finished before the end of the month and, and I might still, but I'm not going to worry about pushing it. They'll just end up on the next episode in February, but I'm reading, uh, Primordial Threat by M.A. Rothman. It's a space sci-fi, and so far it's really, really awesome. And then Battle Chasers by Joe Matarera. Uh, long story on, on that one, but it's good, and I'll, I'll tell you about that next time. But until then, hope you guys have found some good books to read. Hope you're uh, preparing for a much better February than January was. And uh, until then, you know the drill. Drive safe. I will see you out there. <laughs>